It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Railston. I am your host today and we are recording on a mild Friday afternoon here in Salford and I'm joined by my colleagues Rich Fay and Dan Murphy. Rich, how are you today? Well, you say it's a mild Friday. I think it's about to heat up, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, this, <laughs> this hot chat we're about to bring, but yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Looking forward to just the week ending and not having to write the word Ronaldo for, for a day or two would be nice. I would say it's only going to become hot because we're in the presence of Dan Murphy. Dan, how are you? You too can, you too can. And it's in contrast because I'm absolutely bloody freezing because, you know, the heating is not going on. It can't go on, especially when we're recording because it would just be very loud as well. And we've got the little portable heater next to me. But as I am in the same boat as Rich, sick of writing about Ronaldo. So let's talk about him instead for an hour or so. eh? Of course, I think you need to win the lottery these days to put the heating on. Uh, mm-hmm. None of us have done that. Right, we'll just get straight into it, Rich. Obviously, Ronaldo had his second part of his interview with Pierce Morgan on Thursday night. Obviously, the first part went out on Wednesday. It's been teasers all week, promotional material getting, you know, dripped into social media. It's been pretty explosive. We did discuss it earlier in the week, but we will analyse his comments from Thursday night. Um, and at the end of the podcast, maybe discuss some World Cup stuff. But to begin with, Ronaldo... Obviously, I think he started off his interview. He discussed Vallecano and leaving that game at half time. Um, I know that obviously a few players did leave with him. Um, and he also discussed the Tottenham incident, his, his outburst at Tottenham when he stormed down the tunnel. And I think he said he was provoked by Ten Hag, Rich, um, at Tottenham when Ten Hag obviously asked him to come on the end of the game. Um, in my opinion, obviously, he's the highest earner at the club. I think he should go on regardless. I think it was a bit disrespectful to Ten Hag to, to turn that down. So, what did you think about those comments, really? And what was your reaction on, on Thursday night watching the interview? I think you've hit the nail on the head there, haven't you? That I mean, You can't talk about disrespect and complain about not being brought on against City and then, in the very similar situation, then try and take the higher ground and say, well, I'm not coming on for this one. And there is no disrespect from the manager there. Obviously, it's not the role that maybe Ronaldo intended and, and wanted to have. But again, it just boils down to the fact that this is someone who is losing control and getting very desperate to try and regain that. I mean, what purpose has he had for United this season? He scored three goals. His last goal from open play, I think, was was that April or so? I mean, he's not been doing anything, really. He's, he's called that tapping, didn't he, against Sheriff. Um, I think last Premier League goal from open play was April or so. I mean, he's just not offered anything to this United team. There's been very little. And I just... I just find it so bitter from him, really. He's just going out sort of Alan Partridge style, isn't he? Trying to take the BBC <laughs> with him or whatever. I mean, he's just completely thrown his toys at the pram. And I don't know what he ever thought would happen from this interview. I, I, I find it baffling that he thinks that he maybe has this aura where the fans would have been like, oh, yeah, Ronaldo, you're so right. We're so sorry that you never got your chance. Ten Hag's the wrong man here. And Ten Hag struggled. There's been questions about him, but this has just unified him even more. And for Ronaldo to come out and even suggest that he's been disrespected, given what he's actually done. He wanted to leave the club. He timed that poorly in the summer. At the time, he said he was happy with the way United had handled the situation. Um, Of course, there are two sides to every story there. He's saying now that he wasn't happy with it. But since then, he's not handled himself with any respect towards United at all. And 
there's a hypocrisy of that because before he even makes his comment, he's already undermined what he's trying to say. You can't accuse a team of disrespect when you've done what he's done and he's done it so consistently as well. It's not just one one off. And we said after the Valakana game, I think we said the Tottenham game as well, this is kicking the can down the road. He's had this outburst, but that doesn't mean it's solved. There's been no solution there. It's just, oh, he's apologised, he's made up for his actions or whatever. And, you know, you've got to wonder what Ten Hag and Ronaldo said in those conversations after those incidents because there was this impression that it had all been resolved and Ronaldo was still a key part going towards the end of the season. There's an element of club rhetoric there where you've got to toe the party line and say, Ronaldo's fine, we're happy with him, he's still got a key role to play, blah, blah, blah. But what was actually said, because surely Ten Hag was sold this vision that Ronaldo was still committed and was still happy, and then he's just gone behind his back and done this. It's just treachery, really, from Ronaldo's point of view. Um, he's now got a manager who doesn't owe him anything. Solskjaer was maybe overawed by him a little bit and even maybe didn't want to sign him himself, but Solskjaer was still his friend. They played together, you know, they, they knew each other. Ten Hag owes him nothing. It's been a breath of fresh air. Ronaldo's cut his, cut his ties and he just needs to go. I found it sad, Rich, to be honest, watching that interview last night. I felt like it's one of these all-time greats and kind of reducing himself to this interview of Piers Morgan out of all people. I felt it was a bit sad, actually. I did watching him speak. Um, Dan, he kind of said that Ten Hag hasn't given him the kind of respect that he deserves, I think was the quote. Um, that, that gave me the impression that he kind of wants special treatment. He doesn't want to be treated equally. Is Was that your interpretation of those comments? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I resent him enough for having to kind of make me watch Piers Morgan for two hours uh, <laughs> this week, which was really, really difficult. Perhaps the most difficult thing I've ever done in this job. But as you say, it's it was just um, it was a conversation of uh, contra- contradictions. Now, if you let anyone ramble on for 90 minutes, I'm sure we'd all be guilty of kind of doing the same thing. But as um, our colleagues Tyrone and Samuel Luan are on the podcast today have really eloquently written in today's pieces. Um, Samuel points out how Piers Morgan just didn't press him on any of the um, uh, the kind of facts to the story, how Ronaldo did want to leave and then Ronaldo saying he chose to stay and various other kind of inaccuracies that Morgan did not, I know, as a self-professed journalist, did not press him on whatsoever. It was clearly just a kind of PR piece. I mean, Piers, you talk about Solskjaer being overawed. I think Piers Morgan was absolutely buzzing to be talking with Ronaldo, his nose couldn't get much browner. And um, Tyrone kind of correctly points out how it was just full of contradictions. At one point, he, and this was like a mute point compared to the rest of his kind of shots at Ten Hag and, and the club and whatnot. But um, he says at one stage that the, the youth of today don't listen, um, don't want to take advice. And then in the very next breath says he doesn't give advice, he likes to lead by example. And then he says he wants to lead by example. And then we have the Tottenham um, scenario in the outburst. And it's just... It's just such an inelegant kind of raging against the light, I think. It's a player who is just not... He's 37. I don't think there's any shame in not being as good as you once was. And, he, he, uh, you know, we've spoken ad nauseum on this podcast, I imagine, and uh, in our articles of how Ronaldo came in last year. And he still held up his end of the bargain. He did score goals, but the team as a whole suffered. The season before Ronaldo came, United scored 121 goals. Um, throughout the season, this the season with him, he, this, that went down to 71. So while he still held up his end of the bargain, and United would have been without a striker if it wasn't for Ronaldo due to Cavani being AWOL and injured, um, Rashford being really out of form, Greenwood's situation, Marshall being injured and then out on loan. So they would have been without Ronaldo. I don't think we should kind of disregard what he did do last season, if, even if the team suffered. But this year, he's 37. Those powers do wane. It just seems like someone who isn't being able to kind of accept that and 
when you you know when you kind of age which is natural to everyone as Rooney kind of correctly pointed out he's struggling to deal with it whereas you know the, the example that's coming straight to my head and obviously not went nowhere near the same level of player but James Milner he's gone from like a regular player for Liverpool playing all the time an important player and now he has a bit part role filling it right back or left back or you know anywhere across the pitch and he does that with grace and and everyone respects Milner as a result whereas Ronaldo obviously cannot accept that he isn't the starter anymore it must have been some blow when he announced you know it was brief that he wanted to leave United he, he expected to go to a Champions League club and none of them came calling and because he is just not compatible to big teams, the modern game. He can't press. He's immobile. He's static. He may score, or he did score at least last season. And he just is not even doing that now. So, what you know, what's he going to do if he does leave United? It'll be very interesting. You know, as, as Rich says, three goals this season, two of them coming against FC Sheriff, one a penalty, the other a pretty good finish against Everton um, when he kind of latched onto Casemiro's pass. So there is still worth there, but he's not being able to kind of let go of what he used to be able to do, I don't think. And and as you say, he's taking aims at Ten Hag when I think we can all agree Ten Hag's done nothing. But if anything, be too lax to give him the armband, what was it, 18 days, two weeks after his outburst at Tottenham. Might have been a bit of a mistake on Ten Hag's part, but it was certainly an olive branch, I'd say, to a, a way for him to get back into the side, to let him come back in. And he's just kind of spat in his face with it, really. Age catches up to everyone. I get tired walking up the stairs these days. So Ronaldo's not the only one. Rich, if we talk about Ten Hag's kind of strength of character here and the way he's handled the situation, as Dan just alluded to, um, I kind of I think I tweeted during the interview last night that he's probably the winner out of this interview. He said absolutely nothing since that uh, 2-1 defeat of Fulham at the weekend. And yet he's come out of all of this probably looking the best. Um, does it really bode well for the future that United have got a manager that can have the personality, have the character, that can stand up to a person like Ronaldo? Not even stand up, just treat him equally and I guess stand up to him that way. I think that that is exactly what United needed and it feels like this year has been a real seismic change in terms of the sort of makeup of that dressing room. You talk about player power. In the summer, they've lost Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba, two very influential figures. Ronaldo on his way out now as well. And there's a real chance there for this this dressing room to be moulded into more of what Ten Hag wants, the right mentality, the right work ethic, and, and a team of players who all buy into his ideas. Because at a very top level, and you see this all the time, the margins are so small, and it is usually the unified dressing rooms that go on and have that success. And for United for too long, we, we look at the post-Ferguson years, and the criticism is always at the manager or the players, or the recruitment team, or the owners. And they all have a part to play. But a key element of that is just that the squads maybe haven't had that harmony all the time. There's been cliques still. There's been maybe not this unity. There's been players who are out of favour. And rather than using that as sort of fire to get back in the team, they've grovelled and they've complained and acted like the world's against them. And I think the biggest thing for Ten Hag going into next season, or next year rather, is that he should hopefully have a, a dressing room where everyone buys into his ideas, all of his new players have had key prominent roles that just re-endorses and re-emphasises how good he is in the transfer market, gives himself more authority. And now, like you said, he's going to have even more power from this situation because not only does Ronaldo go out of the dressing room, which gives an opportunity for someone else to stand up, he's already earmarked De Gea, Varane and Casemiro as possible leaders, future captains maybe of the club as well. But you've also then got this dynamic where someone who can maybe contradict your opinions and can voice against you is gone. You've got even more power because you've come up with this situation so well. He's handled it so well. And most of all, 
the supporters are unanimous in their in their support of Ten Hag because no one is bigger than Manchester United. And if there is one person who has that utmost authority, it is the manager. That is the way it should be. That is how it's historically always been for United in times of success. It all stops at the manager. He has ultimate decisions to make. Obviously, he has to go to the board and he's got people above him, but he is the face. He is the real key decision maker at Manchester United and it's getting that way again. So I think it's just a win-win-win for, for Ten Hag, really. He's come out of it very well. He's handled his side of the bargain well. You can understand Ronaldo's frustrations, of course he can, but ultimately that his, is his boss and you've got to respect that. You've got to respect his authority, which Ronaldo hasn't done. So yeah, I think Ten Hag is, is the real winner from all this. I completely agree with that and I feel like there's going to be maybe a siege mentality after the World Cup in that dressing room. If Ronaldo goes and say, right, come on, guys, let's let us show them, let's come together, let's be united um, and let's push forward in the Ten Hag. Um, Dan, he, he talked about a suspension that happened after Tottenham. Um, obviously, he was frozen out, came back to Carrotton and, and trained with some coaches on his own. He was unavailable for the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge. Um, he kind of expressed his disappointment at the way that was handled. He didn't think that suspension was warranted. And I, I did laugh at the story of him telling his son the information about what happened. And his son kind of said, Daddy, how can they suspend you? The, the best player in the world. That was a funny line. So, but, but surely, Dan, that, you know, that suspension, it was well-deserved, wasn't it? You can't just storm off the pitch and be no consequences. Yeah, I mean, that, that line was certainly a contender for didn't happen of the year. Uh, didn't happen of the year 2022, a late contender there. So you might win something uh, this year. Um, hopefully not the World Cup, of course, which we'll get on to. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's the same. You know, the question you asked me earlier, which I kind of got lost in my rambling and forgot to actually answer. You know, it, it does just strike that he feels like he's above, not only kind of the club, obviously, with the way he's talked about and kind of gone against the manager in such a public way, but that he feels like he's on a cut above some of the players. Like, oh, I'm a different player to everyone else. I shouldn't be subjected to a three-minute cameo at the end of a game. And, you know, the, the, the comments about what Ten Hag said about the respect for not bringing on the City match and then trying to conflate the two is just kind of ridiculous. They were completely two different situations. You know, Ten, what Ten Hag, who is still kind of learning English as it is anyway, it's not his strongest language, and nor is it with Ronaldo. And you know, we should be respectful of people speaking so openly in the um, second languages. But what Tenag was basically saying is, I don't want to bring Ronaldo on when uh, the United fans are obviously angry. They've just seen the team get absolutely battered by City. I don't want to bring him on and him have to face that. And the game's gone. Well, it might not have been with the way Martial was going. If they had ten minutes more, but the game was gone. There was no use bringing on Ronaldo in that sort of situation. Whereas. At the Tottenham game, Old Trafford was bouncing. It was a great atmosphere. It had been the you know, uh, the kind of breakthrough performance of Ten Hag's reign. United you know, have been absolutely excellent. Ronaldo, go on, enjoy the last few minutes in the great atmosphere. Maybe grab yourself a goal with the ways going. And all can be butterfly and rainbows and we move on and together. And it'd be a great kind of unified front. But instead, as is often the way, he kind of stole the headlines. He, he made it about himself after the Tottenham game. And then the Fulham match after such a galvanising victory, you know, Alejandro Ganacho, the young star, which, you know, there's not many young players that, um, probably in the United First team at the minute. So there can't be many he's on about in the, the interview when he's kind of, bemoaning the, the generation of today. Ganacho goes out and does that, um, a great goal, very reminiscent of Ronaldo's against Fulham um, way back when as well, of course. And again, the headlines are his, like the, the Chelsea match. What, what You can't not punish, any player would get punished the exact same. And if anything, he probably, he probably got off lightly. Um, I know the Tevez situation at City a decade ago was slightly different with how that went, but he got... Well, it was more like self-exile in the end, wasn't it? But Mancini was like, he'll never play for me again after that. And it took months before he was back into the fold. 
So there was a way back for Ronaldo into the team after that, and he came in and he was given the armband. The punishment was, if anything, too lax, and he still had a problem with it. So, you know, it's just the bridges burn at this stage. I don't know how much of what Ronaldo said he actually kind of really means and stuff. I wonder if it, it just strikes as more of like a deliberate tactic to, to you know, to kind of get Going his way out. Because, yeah. yeah, well, the traditional way of leaving a club didn't work for him in the summer, did it? He briefed agents, knew he was available, teams knew he was available, and no one wanted him, um, at least to the level what he wanted to play at. So the traditional way of finding a new club didn't work. So maybe this is the way he's going about it this time around. And it's... You know, for United fans, I can imagine it's it's quite it's quite a sad way for such a great and legendary player to re- really kind of tarnish his legacy. Because I remember, you know, I, I'm I'm not a United fan, but I know loads of United fans, and I remember being in the pub after that Newcastle game and mates of mine charging in with Portugal flags, absolutely buzzing, like absolutely delighted that you know the hero would come back, come back still firing as it looked like on that Newcastle game, and to see it end like this, I imagine for United fans is. It's it's quite uh, undignifying and quite sad. It is quite sad. You're right, Dan. Uh, and obviously, you said you feel like the bridges are burnt, and I think you'd find find it hard to find someone that doesn't disagree with, uh, with that. Um, you know, he, he doesn't know about his future. That's what he kind of said. But it's obvious what's going to happen. It's obvious he's not going to play for the club again. Rich today, they released another statement. They were waiting for all the facts to be established, obviously, until the second part of the interview came out. Um, you wrote the line just before we came on there that the club are currently considering terminating his contract. So could you give one update on that, please, and kind of how do you see that kind of developing over the next week? Because I think I think Gary Neville was on there yesterday or so, and he went, look, United need to get this sorted in the next few days. Yeah, I think from United's point of view, it, it benefits them if it's done before the World Cup and they can just get this sorted as, as soon as possible. Obviously, there's such mitigation in that and you can't really give a precise timeline. And that's maybe annoying because by the time you listen to this podcast, it might have happened. And by the time you listen to it, it obviously, it obviously might not have <laughs> as well. But the word coming from United is, you know, they want this to be sorted as, as swiftly as possible. The sort of delay of it so far has been that they've had to wait for the for the interview to be aired because, you know, you've got to... You know, give it and see it in its full context. Obviously, it was obvious what the tone of it was from the start of the week and the way it was drip-fed and the platform and the, the interviewee of, of, of what the content would be. But United had to at least wait for it to, to be aired and for them to, to view it properly in its full context before they could sort of evaluate what to do next. So they're taking the appropriate next steps. In terms of breach of contract, all that, there is loads of legality you've got to get into. So that's why you've got to be cautious what you say at the moment. But... You know, the belief is that United are at least considering terminating his contract, looking into whether or not he has breached his contract. And I'll get up the actual terminology now. So when Ronaldo signed for United, he will have signed an employment contract with the club and with the Premier League. And now under this contract, it states that all employees are obliged to comply with and act in accordance with all lawful instructions of any authorised official of the club. They are not allowed to write or say anything which is likely to bring the club into disrespute or cause damage to the club. Now, obviously, some of the things Ronaldo said, you could could certainly argue, have done that. So, you know, I need to get into the intricacies of it or the legality of it and see if there is enough there to determine if he has breached his contract and if so, to what extent. Um, Obviously, then there's, there's, you know, you can terminate the contract perhaps and you could sue him. But then there's also... United want this resolved as amicably as possible, which is very difficult. But obviously, Ronaldo could then maybe 
go back with his own sort of legal sort of counter argument saying, well, I didn't do this. This is what I said. This is how I feel. I've got my own right to opinion or reply. So I think it will be a bit dragged out a bit longer than United want. Obviously, it seems like the most suitable scenario would be to, if possible, terminate his contract, everyone to move on and just nip it in the bud as quick as possible. But that is maybe a fanciful vision. Like I said, United will want to get this sorted as soon as possible, but it's not as easy as that because the legality and the legal issues involved, it's so complex that it's difficult to, to go into too many details. But the belief and the feeling that I've been hearing is certainly that United are very happy to get rid now and you know that is deemed the next best step for the club. Do you know fancy career change, Rich? Better call, Rich, instead of better call, Saul. I'd, I'd hire you. <laughs> If I was in trouble, <laughs> I was mega Well, let's hope that. you don't get into trouble, I suppose. You know, <laughs> my counter-argument to that rather than I'll be your backup guy if that happens. But yeah, it's got, it's got to be interesting to see. And like I said, timeline's difficult because of the World Cup. Obviously, Ronaldo would, well, he's still got the house, hasn't he, in Manchester. He's still probably got most of his belongings at Carrington. So it's a really weird situation, but obviously we'll keep you up to date with that as, as and when things happen. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's a messy situation, like you said, in both sides. Well, United want to deal with it very well and don't want don't want it to increase the mess. But it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is really difficult. Um, Dan, one of the quotes he kind of said, I think he said, the press have been saying nobody wants us. If we're talking about you know his next step and leaving the club, but he kind of called that out and he criticised that. But it's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, the only offer we knew about was the concrete offer from Saudi Arabia. Confirmed that in the interview. We talked about his declining performances this season also made us laugh he said I scored 32 goals last season and then he corrected himself was like and the national team not just mm-hmm. United I don't think I've saw a player talk about the goals he scored and then add the national team goals on but he seems a bit sensitive doesn't he and I know obviously look if you've been taking a barrage of abuse in, in stuff that you perhaps don't believe is true you're going to be agitated but I was a little bit surprised at how maybe sensitive he comes across is that fair? I mean, I mean for a bloke who Apparently, doesn't listen to any criticism yeah, in the media. Exactly, to yeah. then go, you know, to then go and spend a large portion of a ninety-minute interview, kind of pinpointedly pointing out all the criticism he's ever had in the last, you know, year <laughs> or so. You know, it's just kind of another contradiction that was littered with him, and it's. I think the whole thing is like just frustrating because he used the points which every United fan would agree with. Of course, the kind of deterioration of the club since Ferguson and probably before that and afterwards and whatnot, you know, he had that valid points and they just hold no weight now because they're clearly being used as a shield to kind of keep the fans on side. Cause he's saying, you know, we've seen the reaction on Twitter from those holdouts that, you know, the kind of Ronaldo fans on Twitter who, you know, probably aren't United fans are literally fans of the player rather than a club, but they, you know, he is right of what he said about deterioration under the Glazer ownership. And he said things that fans will agree with when he says that they don't care about the sporting side of the club, only the, the marketing, I believe it was, that he said. But they hold no weight now and it's just used as a ploy to um, 
to kind of burn the bridge, as I said. If this had been, if, you know, it's, United haven't, if anything, they've got better in the year since, because I believe the kind of renovations of the gym was completed in the summer and stuff like that. So improvements have been made in this year than he was there. If, if he had said, come out and said this when he first arrived, uh, when United really, really were in kind of a crisis um, somewhat and the Blazers really were under pressure when things weren't going well at all under Solskjaer and then Magnick. Imagine how much kind of, how much that would have meant then if you know the legendary player, the most as Piers Morgan repeatedly pointed out, the most famous person on planet Earth, you know, the most followed person on Instagram, um, the fruit that people want to bite. Apparently, that was another one of his a highlight quote for me. Um, if he had have said this back then, and actually, it would have shown that he did actually care about the club because he was there. He was still in the in the trenches. He was playing reasonably well. He was probably one of the few players, along with De Gea, who came out unscathed last season after you know the worst Premier League campaign ever. But he, he didn't say it then because he was starting most matches. He was scoring. He was content with his own performances. If he had aired those concerns with the club then, maybe things would look a lot different. But as I said, they've just been used now on top of everything else to... So just a naked attempt to kind of engineer his move away because he's he's out of favour now and he's out of favour because this season he isn't scoring enough. It's not like he's not played. He's start, he's been on the bench a few times, but he played um, the last before kind of um, Fulham, I believe, and before he, he came down with an illness, he started four matches on the spin and scored only in the Europa League. Like, he's been playing. He's just not really been delivering. And, you know, United's best results this season, they beat Liverpool, they beat Tottenham, they beat Arsenal and they've drawn with Chelsea. All those games came when Ronaldo wasn't there. The, the defeats to Villa and um, the defeats uh, earlier in the season the, uh, came when Ronaldo was there. And it's, it's undisputable now this season, United are better without Ronaldo in the starting eleven, And that is a fact that it seems to be the main instigator in all this. And it's the fact that Ronaldo doesn't seem to be able to accept. I and, mean, you know, we must say th- this drive and this self-desire and this self-confidence are probably qualities that have made him the best player in the world. The, probably, well, I think Messi's the best player in the world, of course, but the best, undisputably the best goal scorer. <laughs> always, always. Um, undisputably the best goal scorer of all time, though. And to remain on the top of his game, for the last two decades, he wouldn't have done that without all these these attributes that are now kind of obviously leading to this uh, undignified uh, uh, end to the final swan song. It is a fact that United are better off about him. Nail on the head, Dan. But I have to ask, if Ronaldo was a strawberry that people want to bite, what fruit would you be if you had to pick Ooh. a fruit? <laughs> the first one that he goes to is just banana in it it's, just, it's, it's, un, it's undeniable that banana is the first one you go to but I hate bananas like, they, they annoy me this oh, there's something oh, we're going to get me on a tangent you just said you hate yourself Dan you just said, I do a fraudulent slip that a fraudulent slip well apple it, nice pink lady apple best fruit go. it started as the worst be? question well it started as the worst question of all time but then you've you've gone really in depth though on Murph you've, you've gone real deep into a psyche of his own self out and self-loathing so Listen, fantastic I hate bananas bananas right there's so much trouble for what they're worth they bruise so easily and they've got their own oh, don't get me started honestly. we won't get into the banana analysis Rich don't. what would you be would you be an orange I'd say I'm a pear a pear when Good I'm shot. my best I'm the best fruit in the world but that's very very nah. very few times that happens usually yeah. too soft or usually never ripe enough horrible. never ripe enough Anyways, yeah. we've probably spent around 60 seconds on fruit talk, so we'll go back to the football. Ronaldo started it. He did, he did, yeah, in his interview. But Ronaldo talked about Sir Alex Ferguson, Rich, and 
obviously he played a massive role in coming back to the club. Without him, it wouldn't have happened. We know he gave Ronaldo that call. He went, okay, boss, I'm coming back. I'll come to Old Trafford. Um, he kind of said, look, Fergie's always on my side. No matter what, he understands what's going on. I completely agree in the sense that Ferguson won't be happy in the direction the club has gone. He'll be aware of the problems. But I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a stretch to say that Ferguson would be on his side in this scenario, surely, would it? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because Ferguson... We can't is answer for far- Ferguson. No, yeah. exactly. And Ferguson is such a strong father figure in Ronaldo's life, you know. He is almost like a surrogate son to, to him. That, you know, Ronaldo idolises this man and, you know, that is just sort of fatherly instinct to stick by your own and to have their back. And without, you know, without Ferguson, there is no Cristiano Ronaldo as we know him today. You know, he, he's such an important figure in his life, played such a key role in guiding him, knew how to manage him perfectly. He he pandered to certain aspects of his ego that he needed. He knew how to take him under his wing, show him tough love at times when he needed it, you know, introduce him slowly, but surely enough to the first team, gave him the number seven shirt. You know, Ferguson has played such an integral part of it and there's such a love there, not just a respect, a love. You know, I remember Champions League final in Cardiff afterwards, there's Ronaldo and Ferguson and his eyes light up when he sees him and, you know, it's lovely to see him. I think it is a difficult one, isn't it? Because Ferguson, the manager, would probably sympathise. I mean, it's difficult because Ferguson, the manager, probably wouldn't have over wouldn't have oversaw this disaster of United's spell. You know, the reason is since he's gone, it's been bad. But Ferguson did have sympathy with some of his under some some of the key players because he knows what it means for them. I mean, look back to when Cantona, you know, had his had his sort of outbursts and stuff. You know, Ferguson knew how to manage him. He knew how to take care of him. So I think it is a stretch to say Ferguson would condone this, but you know, would you know condone it? And say, yeah, I understand where now coming from. There's got to be a point where the manager has utmost authority. But like Dan said before, that Ronaldo's undoing is what made him so great in the first place. It's that relentless desire to win, to be the very best in the world. To and that was always the argument that Na- that Messi's naturally talented and Ronaldo's made it for himself. He's worked so hard for it. You can't deny that. In terms of an actual athlete and a trainer, that's all great qualities of Ronaldo because he has this just desire. It hurts him not to be the best in the world. And it must hurt him so much that he last time he was at United, he literally had won the Ballon d'Or. He literally was the best player in the world. And now he's come back. His powers are waning. The club's not what it used to be. Everything's just stuck in the past, really. So... I think Ferguson would have sympathy with Ronaldo, understand where his anger and feelings come from. But ultimately, if you, you cannot undermine a Manchester United manager, that is just not the way the club's history has ever been. And the manager has to have the utmost respect. And Ronaldo's not given that to Ten Hag. I think there's a quote going around on social media, actually, um, from Fergie's book. And I think it's in reference to David Beckham leaving the club. He basically says, look, the second the player goes against the manager, he needs to go. And obviously fans have been posting that in the masses with this situation going on and using that as a, as a kind of case study. Dan, before we get into a few World Cup bits, because we're getting to the half an hour mark yet, could you kind of give us your, your closing feelings or your, your summary of this whole scenario? Because it's dominated headlines all week. We've wrote a ton of articles about it. It's been the, the chat on the podcast. What has been your overriding emotion when you've, you've saw this come out? Because for me, it was initially surprise and I think obviously a bit of shock. But I think as the week has went on, it's probably for me turned into a bit of sadness to see a fantastic player, one of the world's best players ever, to go out like this. The only word that was going through my head after I, I was on for Wednesday when the first part was shown uh, on 
uh, talk TV, I think it was. And the only word I could really think of, and I, I, I can't remember, I think this bit, I think part one, he really talked mostly about the, the passing of his baby boy, which probably shouldn't be forgotten in all of this. Uh, you know, you can't imagine any sort of grief. Not I, None of us have children. I can't even comprehend the sort of anguish. And, and, and I thought one really interesting bit that he said was like, he didn't, he had to be happy, but he also, sorry, he had to be sad, but he also had to be happy because obviously Bella, his daughter, the, the other twin survived. And it was such a weird contrast. Like that, the, the, the grief of the death must have been, can't be comprehended on its own, but then to have to be happy at the same time, I, I can imagine that is an absolutely whirlwind of emotions. And, you know, maybe any sort of acting out can, can kind of be understood through that prism. So I can't want to say that, and that it was horrible before I can say, but my overriding feeling of it, and every, and I thought that was the only bit when he was sympathetic, because that was the only bit when he felt he was real. It was the only bit when he felt like he was really speaking kind of from the heart and from kind of just any, that, that, there was the only bit that didn't really have any other motivation behind it, I think. And the other motivations, as we've said, was all football related. And the only word I could think of was kind of nauseating. And it just felt sickening to me, just the way how, it effortlessly talked about Instagram followers as if that matters. Maybe it clearly does, but it way it matters and just and every kind of joke and stuff and the jibes about it. The, the, and a lot of that was Piers Morgan's fault because, as, as I said earlier, he just hit the... I think Samuel summed it up brilliantly, actually, in his article. He said it was just a, a underarm to be funded out the ground, and that's what it was. They were just soft questions. Um, as Samuel points out, Ronaldo's never been available for interviews to the press, to us. He's never been on a pre... European match press conference to be asked questions um, and as Samuel kind of laid out in his piece questions would be asked is do you think you deserve a starting spot when you've only scored three goals in I think is it 19, 16 games or something like that so my overriding feeling was one of just kind of nausea of seeing all this kind of sorry affair play out on TV when I, th- I think Ten Hag has been right in his handling I think he's been kind of justified I think he's been stern but fair but I, I do I could see the point of view where he has been He's the new lad in the prison block, and he's gone to the big boy and given him a whack with the with the dinner tray to assert his dominance. I do think there could be a bit of that because Ten Hag wants to assert his authority, and Ronaldo is the big dog, but he hasn't done any anything Ten Hag's done. He has been completely justified in doing it. But I can see from Ronaldo's perspective why he could be annoyed at that. But every, you know, Ten Hag's not had to say anything this week. It's, obviously, there's been no pre- match press, pre-match press conference pre-match press conferences say that three times <laughs> quick so he's not been had to face the question so he's not had to say anything this week and he's just come out with his position so much stronger and and, and, and as you say the overall feel I think as a United fan it would be sadness and maybe even anger to see such a legend uh, undignify himself in this way but as a neutral um, in terms of kind of a football fan it was just one of just it just felt a bit sicky a bit, a bit icky a bit sickly to me other than of course the really emotional stuff about um, the sad passing of Angel. No, I think that's a nice summary, Dan, uh, from both of you, actually, because obviously it's, it's been such a huge story next week. It's obviously set the rumble on the next week. Uh, that is the nature until there is a resolution and they'll probably rumble on after that once there is a resolution to his future, such as the such as his standing in the game. It's Cristiano Ronaldo we're talking about. Um, but we'll move on and, and talk about the World Cup for five minutes if we can. Just obviously England are playing on Monday afternoon. Iran, and for all the listeners that don't know, they're not the only team playing, Stephen. That is, that is mainstream media bias. <laughs> well, if you, if, you let us, if you let us get on to what I was about to say, okay. Rich, I was saying Rich was born and bred in Wrexham, and he is obviously a fanatical Welsh fan. Now, Rich, my granddad was Welsh, so I could, I could 
qualify yeah. for Wales if I was ever okay. good enough at football. So my first question I was going to ask you, Rich, before getting the, the Wales perspective, because obviously they're in England's group. I think you're better Or, 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 or Wales and England's group. Uh, England and Wales's group. It's a very well, difficult one to argue, isn't there it? There you go. There my, my bias is coming into it. So I was going to ask you, from an outsider perspective, what do you think of England's chances this year, being a Welsh fan and being in the group? I think, I mean, being in England's I always... Group. <laughs> I always, I do think, looking at the pathway, that there's a gr- like England don't have to be that great to get to the quarterfinals. I really don't think they have to because yeah. I think they're heavy favourites of the group. They have to be. Their team's in maybe not the best form, but they've got by far the best players. They're a cohesive unit, which is you know important for for tournament football. I expect them to win the group, and if they do, they play most likely maybe Ecuador or Senegal. And that's Senegal without Mane. I think that's an easy easyish win. You then get to a quarter final, which you know you only three games of winning it. Then I think that isn't beyond their means. I think, in a way, England are probably suited to the fact that the media narrative ahead of this tournament seems to be more doom and gloom than blind faith and optimism. I think England fans have actually should be quite fortuitous that they're maybe not expected to win it. I think there is obviously an expectation to to go very far, but no one's sort of talking them up as favourites. All the pre match, pre tournament hype seems to be on South America and almost feels like England are going under the radar a bit. They're still a fantastic, fantastic team with amazing players. And I think from England's point of view, if Southgate just doesn't stick with his favourites, who he has done in the past, and just goes on form, I think England can go at least to the semi-finals with not relative ease, but quite comfortably. And from there, who knows? I mean, t- tournament football is so luck of the draw and one referee decision, there's no second chances. So... I think from from an English point of view, you should be very confident of of getting to the last four, really. Or Wrexham going through, Rich? I was laughing at the clip. I think it was Joe Allen who ruffled someone's hair. If Wrexham go through, then that would be a job. The guys have started already. Disney Plus will be buzzing with that. I'll tell you that for free. It is a Friday. It is a Friday. But yeah, in terms of from Wales's point of view, I think it's dangerous. I think from the Welsh point of view, we obviously want to get as far as we can. I think Robert Earnshaw came out, or Ian Rush came out last week, and said last 16 would be success for Wales. But I think Wales' success is just being in the World Cup. We haven't been in the World Cup since 1958. Like, that is ridiculous. I think from the outside media, maybe people don't follow Wales all the time. They'll be like, well, if you go out of the group, don't score any goals. That's a failure. It's disappointment, but it's not failure. We're at the World Cup. This hasn't happened for generations. That is the success. And then that's the springboard for further success. We need to get to the stage where qualifying for tournaments is the norm. That is going to be amazing if that ever happens. We've had three out of the last four, so that's excellent. But I think from Wales' point of view... I'm not expecting us to get out of the group. I think USA and Iran are the types of team where we struggle against the most. I would always back Wales against a massive country because we up our game. We've got big game players. But I think teams who are on our sort of level, which I think the US and Iran are, I think they're really tricky to to overcome. So I'm not feeling optimistic about getting out of the group, but I won't consider it a failure if and when we don't. Going back to my mistake, it would be good fun to have Rex in the group, though, wouldn't it? Paul Mullins scoring the that. goals, pitting himself against Harry Maguire. Uh, and if you are a Welsh United fan, uh, Rich does a podcast on Wrexham, if you are, you know, that way inclined. Oh, what a um, plug this is. Not everyone needs yet, have I? Been waiting Rob, years for a Rob Ryan Red podcast. At plug, Rob yeah. Ryan Red on Twitter, I believe. So head over there for some excellent content. Dan, back to the England angle. Um, Harry Maguire, I think that's a massive talking point heading into this tournament. Rich has just talked about, you know, picking players on form. If Southgate doesn't pick his favourites, and Maguire is definitely a Southgate favourite. He struggled the last season and a half, like perhaps even two years, to be honest with United. He's not been good enough. He's lost his place now. He's probably fourth choice in that pecking order at the club. 
Lindelof, Martinez, Varane ahead of them. But coming into this tournament, obviously he has made the team as expected. Would you start him in that opening game? And can you see him playing? Because you've got, I think, Ben White, John Stone. So there is a bro- other options for Southgate at this tournament. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say absolutely. And I do think absolutely. But I do think it might depend on his team. Because Southgate will have two kind of uh, basic formations. Against the Iran, in the Iran game, which is going to be absolutely horrific. Because former United assistant, uh, Carlos Queiroz, is in charge of Iran. So it'll be 10 players behind the ball. It'll be one where England really are going to have to slog to break them down. And it's forecast to be 35 degree heat. So that's not going to be a great, um, exciting start, I don't think. So he can't play a back three in that game. You, but you know, keep it all fingers crossed. That. <laughs> probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't for any of the group games. Really, Wales maybe depending on what the group's like. Come come that final game. But Maguire, yeah, he, he, more often than not, he should he should start because you know I, I see what you're saying there about um you know you play your players in form, but I just don't think there's any chance. And he is injured, so it doesn't really matter. But I really don't think there's any chance of Madison starting a game. He may come on in the last twenty minutes of some like that Iran game if he's fit. Um, to kind of unlock defences, but it's about, you know, we're at the end of a cycle with Southgate since it's kind of been a, um, a kind of bastardised one due to the uh, Euros being moved and whatnot. It's not been the usual two-year cycle, but you're at the end of the cycle. You're not at the point where you experiment with new players and new systems here. They've had even less time than they did at the Euros and would normally do at a World Cup to prepare. <laughs> Literally just six days or whatever it's going to be in total, and most of that's been travelling and just getting used to the conditions. I can't imagine much work has been done on shape or tactics or anything like that. There's no time to do anything new or try anything drastic and completely rip up the plan and put Madison in the 10 role and just have everything go through him. It's just not feasible. It might work for 20 minutes for him to come on, likewise with kind of Grealish and whatnot, to maybe unlock defence and just he can just you know go on, do, you, be good for set pieces and whatnot. But for anyone who isn't a regular, and the, Madison is really the only one, and maybe Callum Wilson, of course, who haven't been regular starters who were in that side, I just don't see him playing. It's I think Luis Enrique has a he he came in for a bit of criticism with some of his um, squad decisions because he didn't pick certain um, players who were playing quite well. I think Ramos hasn't made it, even though he's actually kind of found a good form for PSG at the minute, and he says something on the lines of the international team isn't a reward for good club form. It's it's I'm picking a team and the best team for my team. And that's, that's the case here. It's, Madison is the informing player. There's no doubt about that. But he isn't in the, the team at the minute. No, no one's played along. He's had one cap and like a 20-minute substitute appearance, whatever it is. He, England will need to pick a team that work, knows each other, works together. And they did really well in the Euros. It's it's a kind of... Co- it's not the most exciting. It's not, it's not been a good year since the Euros. But as I've said previously, I don't think you can take those Nations League matches after the season into account much because everyone was bored and tired of them by then and everyone just wanted a holiday. So it's not been a good run for England, but the Germany game just before, um, the, in the last international break or the one before, was really encouraging. Unfortunately for Maguire, that was the probably the one time that his United form seeped into his international form. But he has, every other time, been really good for England. Likewise, with kind of similar names who may come into criticism. Luke Shaw, really good in the Euros. And Raheem Sterling, obviously, um, uh, kind of shown up out of nowhere after a poor in a form to really get England to that final. So I wouldn't, people are going to see the, their rear ends when that team drops at 12 o'clock on Monday. And that's because it's going to be a, a variation of Sterling and Mount and Shaw and Maguire and maybe Phillips hopefully Bellingham, Rice. It's going to be the regulars because that's what's done Southgate so well and there's not enough time to chop and change. 
but I am quietly optimistic. I'm with Rich. I don't really see why there is so much pessimism about the place. The draw, not to be one of those kind of fans, is can be favourable if they win the group. I, you, we might not touch on other teams, but I kind of have a seeking, sneaky suspicious Qatar will actually get out of that group. So that in the last 16, you, you'd, you'd like to think England would do okay there. I could see Denmark winning their group, and if, depending on their knockout, it could be them in the quarterfinals. We've seen England beat Denmark in, in, in knockout matches before. So I, I, I do have England actually, maybe it's just blind optimism and blind faith, but I do have England actually getting to the semis myself. Um, before I do pass back to you, I don't know if you've got any um, kind of uh, kind of speech privy, but I, I did the City podcast yesterday talk about the World Cup. I do think, I do just want to say, you know, this World Cup has obviously got all the kind of drawbacks against it that I don't think should go unmentioned. Obviously, it's kind of abhorrent in its uh, conception and the treatment of migrant workers, LGBTQ plus people and any kind of dissidents is revolting. And I think we all in agreement that the World Cup shouldn't be there. I don't, I don't want to step on your toes or anything if, no, you, had a, if you had a little speech. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think any conversation about it can go um, without that being mentioned. Very well said. I think me and Rich obviously would both agree with that strongly. Um, going back to that Maguire point, obviously before you answered there, I'd actually start and it, it, it almost seems a bit controversial saying that. Um, I don't think his performances were as bad as everyone made out at the last international break. He's always reserved his best form for England. He hasn't been good enough for United, of course. Um, fantastic uh, getting to the semi-finals in Russia in 2018. And he was in the player, player of the tournament or the team of the tournament, sorry. Team of the tournament, not player of the tournament, at the Euros. So I'd start McGuire. I got some stick from my friends for saying that earlier today. And I probably will from some United fans on Twitter, of course. Um, but yeah, that's who I'd go for. Very quickly then, gents, because we are running out of time. Um, just quickly give us your World Cup winner. And a little, very, very brief summary of why. Go on, Rich, you can go first. I mean, I guess you have to say Argentina. 35 games unbeaten. Messi's in great form. Defence looks sorted. Got Christian Romero and Lissandro Martinez. So they're both in form. That's always been the, the criticism, really, of Argentina. They're so top-heavy. For once, they do look good and really well-balanced. Um, yeah, it's difficult to see a non-European team win it, I suppose, because that's not happened since 2002. So, you know, two decades on. It's got to be a big ask, but yeah, I think Argentina are probably the best suited coming to it on good form. They know their system really well, good manager, good, and yeah, I think they've they've got all the all the makings of a World Cup winning side. I did. I'd roll with that, Dan. Sorry, before you answer, I'd completely agree with Argentina. Mm. We did a sweepstake the other day, and I was hoping Argentina came out. Um, mm. And Messi's been in sparkling form ahead of the tournament, which always helps. So, Dan, who would you go for? Yeah, hates to be boring, but I am in agreement. While I'd love Brazil to win for the office sweepstake, as you say, um, I wouldn't be adverse to a Brazil-Argentina final at all. Um, yeah, it's Argentina for me as well. I think, as Rich says, they've got a solid base now. I think something that's played Argentina for so long is the goalkeeper as well, but they finally got Emi Martinez there, who's a really, really dependable, safe, uh, safe pair of hands. And even so, like we talk about in, um, Argentina as kind of these fallen giants, and Messi's never done it in the international stage, but... They've been to three, was it, a World Cup final and two Copa Americas. If Gonzalo Higuain wasn't kind of a donkey when it got to the biggest stage, yeah. they'd have three trophies. It's not like Argentina haven't done anything since 86. They've been really good. But I think what sets them apart this time is that a lot of the attackers that just flooded that team, your Agueros, your, your Higuains, and a few more, Rodrigo Palacios just popped into my head for some reason. Most of them have kind of retired now and stepped out of the game. And the attack they've got now isn't quite as filled with superstars. You've got, obviously, the Tyro Martinez and uh, Di Maria is still knocking about, but M Messi is the main man now. He's, for so long, I think, they, 
for some reason, they didn't do what Barcelona did and just built the team around them. They tried fitting so many attackers in when there's only a limited amount of spots. And I've, even though Messi still dragged them to so many finals, it didn't allow them to unlock his absolute full potential. Whereas now, they've got him as the main man. They've got talented but more kind of worker-like forwards in City's Julian Alvarez and Ganacho's probably unfortunate um, to miss out. But, you know, Thiago Almalda and a few others who aren't quite as uh, well-known or as scintillating to watch but we'll do the work and let Messi do the magic and then behind that they've got a solid base so I do think it is and you know the romantic in me of England can't win it I do want to see Messi get it to to end that old Messi-Ronaldo debate once and for all <laughs> Well I'll, I'll dampen the, the Argentina enthusiasm by saying I have read in a few articles that it might be Romero and Otamendi at centre-back mm, instead yeah. of Martinez yeah. that would be sacrilege surely I, well, it, I mean, I remember the last World Cup when Rojo turned up match winner against Nigeria. Do you know what I mean the <laughs> World Cup throws up some players who you think, oh, he's not very good, and then they do it. And again, that almost brings on the Maguire aspect mm-hmm. of us on head. If that's yeah. the team, that's the team they want. If that's what Scaloni wants. Then that's the success you get. And to mm-hmm. bring it all one circle, I mean, that's what Wales have said in the past. Gareth Bale said he wishes it was Wales FC. He wishes it was a club team that mm-hmm. they could play in the Prem because they have that cohesion and love playing mm-hmm. together. And Otamendi will be a part of the past, but you've got to remember when he was at City in that Centurions mm. team, he got PFA yeah. team of the year. Do you know what He's he used to winning good. matches. Yeah, and if you put him in a system where his flaws are compensated for, then it's not such a bad problem. And yeah, mm. and I think that the, the days are gone where you can sort of laugh at, you know, former Premier League players who haven't really cut it elsewhere, but yeah, it works for them and I, I can't wait. It's fascinating. I think that's what excites me the most. I can't really call how it's going to go. Um, you, you, you meant, sorry, Steve, I know you want to get away, uh, but... The, the most exciting thing I'm excited for, you mentioned Rojo there as kind of wildcard. I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of look through the squads, but there are so many like old heads in this World Cup that are going to have the last <laughs> ride. Obviously, Messi, Ronaldo, but um, Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, of course, are doing Uruguay. That's, that's the game that, that excites me the most. Uruguay-Ghana yeah. rematch. Yeah. No one's going to talk exactly. about it. It's like... Diego Godin is in the Uruguay squad. He's coming out for one last go. Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen are still in the Belgium squad. Honestly, Brian Ruiz is in the Costa Rica squad. He's 37 and playing in Costa Rica, but he's dragged his corpse to a Nupa World Cup. I can't <laughs> believe it. It's, you know it's, there's so many players. Nerf's enthusiasm is infectious. I wasn't excited Honestly. for one did, but now I am. Bring it on. Bring on <laughs> Honestly, the World Cup. Go, Costa through. Rica got? I'm, ex- I'm rooting for them now. Uh, they're in a quite hard group. I think they're in with Spain uh, and Germany. Okay. But, um, it should be a, should be a salesman, nice Honestly, I was going through the squads the other day doing uh, the preview for another podcast and just seeing all the old old heads like just going, just get Pepe in Portugal. Like, oh, that's that's what you want. That's just a chore at Mexico. It's just, oh, that's the one thing that got me World Cup fever is just seeing all these um, old war horses go gearing up for one last ride of it. It's like the old outlaws going out for, you know, one, one last rodeo. I can't wait. Ah, I've got it now. Come on, let's get on. <laughs> Come on, let's get into it. I'm looking yeah, forward I to think, it now. I've got I it. I think Harry, Harry Kane's the youngest cat actually at the World Cup where he's 29 um, but we will leave it there because we will go on for another day and a half uh, so thank you very much thank you for your time Rich today thank you very much for having me and thank you Dan thanks for your time no worries at all pal anytime and thanks to listeners if you are picking out any fruit in a supermarket across the next week make sure to think of Dan take care